This morning's Bible reading comes from Matthew chapter 2, verses 1 to 12. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, Where is the one who has been born King of the Jews? We saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. When Herod heard this, he was disturbed and all Jerusalem with him. When he had called together all the people's chief priests and teachers of the law, he asked them where the Messiah was to be born. In Bethlehem, in Judea, they replied, for this is what the prophet has written. But you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah, for out of you will come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod called the Magi secretly and found out from them the exact time the star had appeared. He sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and search carefully for the child. As soon as you find him, report to me, so that I too may go and worship him. After they had heard the king, they went on their way, and the star they had seen when it rose went ahead of them, until it stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were overjoyed. On coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother Mary, and they bowed down and worshipped him. Then they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And having been warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, they returned to their country by another route. I went to university long enough ago that although the internet had been invented, it wasn't part of day-to-day life like it is now. And so towards the end of each semester, the times for exams were posted up on large notice boards or large signboards. And it was my practice to, to jot down the exam time in my diary. All the other students did it as well, of course. So I might have written engineering maths, 9am, Monday, heat transfer, Wednesday, 1pm, engineering methods and design, Thursday, 1pm. That was how things were done back then. It was a, a perfectly good way of letting the students know what time and place and day their exams were on. Unless, of course, you missed the sign or you misread it. So engineering methods and design was not at 1pm on Thursday, but rather 1pm on Wednesday. Now, I had a study group that I went through university with, and I can remember getting a call Wednesday evening from one of the people in my study group, and they were ringing to ask me about what I thought about a particular question. At first, I was confused. I was wondering, you know, what past exam were they reading? I hadn't heard of that question before. And slowly it dawned on me that I'd missed the sign. That I'd misread or misunderstood or somehow done something wrong with the sign and so I had missed the exam. Still makes me cringe today. I felt terrible. A semester of work and hours of study, I'd been ready for that exam and I'd simply misread the sign. It was a costly mistake and it was made worse by the fact that I had to sit the the exam in that dreaded supplementary time right smack bang in the middle of the holidays when everyone else was just living it up. Now exam time is of course past for us this year, well for most of us anyway. So why am I telling you about this, about exams and about misreading signs? Well, in the passage that Liam read to us today, 
it seems to me that Israel, and in particular the chief priests and the teachers of the law, they too miss the signs. And it costs them. See, they miss the birth of Israel's long-promised and and much-desired saviour. They miss the birth of the king of justice and mercy, the king of the whole world, the creator of the universe. They miss the birth of the one who will redeem and make them. He's born into their midst and they miss it. And with that, they miss the opportunity to worship the long-promised and long-hoped-for Messiah. Part of the joy of Christmas, I think, is that we get to see and realise who Jesus is in the Christmas story. We get to see him as the King of Kings and as the one who will redeem the world. And the Christmas story shows us that he's been born into our world. So I think part of the joy of Christmas is knowing that God is at work, putting the world right, restoring you and me. But Christmas also reminds us, doesn't it, that just as Jesus came into the world 2,000 years ago, he's also coming back. And as we read this passage today, we need to ask ourselves then, are we ready for him to come back? Have we seen the signs? Because the signs tell us Jesus is coming back. And that makes Christmas a great time of joy as we remember that God hasn't given up on this world. It is still at work in it. Now, we all know this passage that was read to us earlier by Liam, the three wise men who bring gifts to baby Jesus. But there are a few questions that might come with this passage. Were there really three? Were they really wise? Were they really kings? Did they ride on camels or on horses or did they walk? Now, these things are not part of the text. So you might be asking then, what is the text trying to say to us today? Well, today I want us to see that there are three groups of characters in this passage, and I think Matthew wants us to see how each group responds to the birth of Jesus. The first group is the Magi. They come from the east searching for the king bearing gifts. The second character or group of characters is King Herod, and by comparison, he helps us to see that Jesus is the great and the legitimate king. And the third group of people are the Jewish teachers of the law, the high-ranking priests. And we see in their example, a group who miss the signs and who so seem to be absent from the birth of Jesus. We're going to look at each of those three groups of characters this morning, and we're going to start by looking at the Magi. Let me read to you from verse 1. This is what it says. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, Where is the one who has been born King of the Jews? We saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. You might be wondering, who are the Magi? Well, I think the most important thing for us to see is that they are foreigners. They might be from Persia or from the Arabian desert or even from Babylon We don't know exactly where they're from, but what we do know is that they're not Jewish. We know that they're far from home and they they must have travelled some distance to get to Israel. It means it would probably cost them time and money and energy. Now, this is not the only place in the Bible that 
Magi are mentioned in the, in the New Testament, Magi are often presented as people who have either a special power or maybe a certain interest in things like dreams or astrology and magic books. And while the Magi in this passage are held up as an example, I think, to follow in a way, Magi are not universally praised in the Bible. Often they're described as charlatans or, or sorcerers. But here they come from the east looking for Jesus. And they come because they've seen in the stars that a great king has been born. Now there are a whole lot of Christmas traditions about these magi. We sing about them, don't we? We often give Christmas cards that have an illustration of them on the front of the card. And so I think we, well, we think we know more about them than we probably should. We might even think we know their names. Tradition has it that these men are called Melchon, Belthazar and Gaspar. But the reality is, is that none of this information is there in the Bible text. All the Bible text really tells us is that they come from the east looking for the one who has been born king of the Jews. Now you might be wondering, how did they know all this from the stars? Now, no doubt they were skilled at observing the stars, but they must also have had access to some of the Jewish texts or some of the Jewish books. Perhaps they had access to the book of Numbers. Do you remember the story of, of Balaam? He's that guy with the talking donkey back in, back in Numbers. That same Balaam says in Numbers 24, verse 17, he says this, I see him, but not now. I behold him, but not near. A star will come out of Jacob. A scepter will rise out of Israel. Now you might be wondering, if a new star in the night sky helped the Magi to find Jesus, should we pay a bit more attention to those horoscopes that you find at the back of the newspapers? Do the stars really foretell the future? I mean, they seem to be telling something else about Jesus here. I think the answer to that is no, because even in this case, it's not really the stars which foretell or predict the future. No, it's scripture, the Jewish Bible text that speaks of the signs, is scripture that helps us to see what God has done and is and will do. But in this case, in the case of Jesus coming into the world, it's not surprising also with such a monumental event that the heavens themselves would join in in the celebration of Jesus coming. In this event, in the history of the universe, Jesus is born. It's amazing. The heavens declare it. The Magi see the star and they know from the Jewish text that this means that a king has been born. But where? Where is this king? And so they start their journey. Do you like travelling? Or are you a destination sort of person rather than a journey person? Now, I don't mind the idea of a journey till I'm you know, a few hours into it and then I, I rapidly get over it. These magi have come a long, long way and what they really want to do is find this king. Don Carson, in his commentary, uh, speaks about this and really he's wanting us to see that um, this is a king worth travelling for. This is a king 
worthy of bearing, gifts for. This is a monumental event. The Magi, they come because they know a great, a great king has been born. And perhaps not surprisingly, this captures the attention of King Herod. Now, he's our second character in the story. So, in verse 3, we read this. When King Herod heard this, he was disturbed, and all Jerusalem with him. When he had called together all the people's chief priests and teachers of the law, he asked them where the Messiah was to be born. Now, there's a fair bit of extra biblical information about King Herod. Apparently, King Herod had a brilliant political mind, but he was also paranoid about losing his rule as the king. He's known to be violent and cruel, especially if it helped him to keep power. He killed two of his sons and his favourite wife. Herod wasn't well liked and he was feared. In verse 3, you read that all Jerusalem was disturbed along with Herod. Why might that be? Well, if King Herod was upset, then people paid for that in blood. And while Herod was the king, he actually ruled under the Roman Empire. It was really the Romans who were in charge. He taxed the people with a high tax rate, but he gave a lot of the money to Rome. And that sets up a contrast for us in the story, doesn't it? Between King Jesus on one hand and King Herod on the other hand. It asks this question, who is the true king? Who's the greater king? Now, Israel's great kings are in the family line of King David, and and Herod was not part of King David's family line. Indeed, Herod was an Edomite, which made him a descendant of Esau, the brother of Jacob. In many ways, you might say that Herod's rule was kind of illegitimate because of that, tenuous at least. So when the Magi come and they're looking for a new king, a great king, of course Herod's interested in that. But here's the thing, he's not interested in worshipping or glorifying or honouring this new king. No, he's interested in ending the life of this king. He's interested in killing him so that he might maintain his own grip on power, his own grip on the throne. And so, to kind of make sure that he does that, he brings forth the teachers of the law and the chief priests who consult the scriptures to find out where God's king is going to be born. Now, these learned men of Israel represent the third group in this story. Now, these teachers and chief priests, they know where the Messiah is to be found, in Bethlehem in Judea. And they know that because... Well, that's what the prophet Micah had foretold. So we read about it here. From Micah we read this. But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For out of you will come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. In verse 9, the Magi set off, leaving Jerusalem behind, heading towards Bethlehem. Let me read on. After they had heard the king, they went on their way. And the star they had seen when it rose went ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were overjoyed. 
I love it. The star again appears for the Magi. Now we've already heard a little bit about this star in our kids' talk this morning, but isn't this just an amazing thing? You know, over the years, many have tried to work out what this star was. Astrologers have noticed occurrences in the night sky, such as the alignment or the conjunction of planets. Maybe that's what they saw. Or perhaps it was a supernova, an exploding star. Maybe it was simply God miraculously creating a light in the sky. However it worked, one thing is sure. The Magi are overjoyed. They're overjoyed because they're on the right track. Overjoyed because this really must be a special king. The star's back, lighting the way for them to go. They've travelled from afar, and now they're close. Their search is about to end. I wonder if you can see the irony in this story. See, the Jewish nation had been longing for their Redeemer to come. They've been hoping for hundreds of years that a king in the line of David would come and and set them free. And yet, when that king does arrive, it's magi from the east that travel to come and see him. It's non-Jewish, magic-loving, astrology-watching, gift-bearing men that, that come in search of the new king And they come in search of him that they might worship him. Where are the Jewish leaders at this point? Well, we don't really know. Matthew doesn't tell us explicitly, but it does seem like like they just stayed at home. And instead of the Jews greeting Jesus, it's those from afar that come to worship him at his birth. Perhaps in the twinkling light of the star then, we have the fulfilment of a prophecy that God's good king would be a light to the Gentile nations, the non-Jewish nations. Perhaps in this we see the fulfilment of Isaiah's prophecy from chapter 60. Let me just read to you a few verses from Isaiah 60. It says this, Arise, shine, for your light has come and the glory of the Lord rises upon you. See, darkness covers the earth, and thick darkness is over the peoples, but the Lord rises upon you, and his glory appears over you. Nations will come to your light, and kings to the brightness of your dawn. Back in Matthew, we have a bright light, a star in the sky, signifying the spot where Jesus, the King of Kings, lay. And to him come magi, men from afar, bringing with them gold and incense and spices, frankincense and myrrh. Have a look what happens with me when the magi arrive at the place where Jesus is. On coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother Mary, and they bowed down and worshipped him. Then they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold and frankincense, and myrrh. The star and the Jewish scripture has led the Magi to Jesus, and when they arrive, they bow down and they worship him. Now, now this is rightly what the whole world should have done, because this is the right relationship to Jesus, the right response to him, to worship him. Now, of course, it may not be that the Magi recognise Jesus 
for exactly who he is. They may not see him as the son of God. They may simply recognize him as a great king. Perhaps they didn't know he was more than that. We're not told. What we are told is that they worship him and present him with fine gifts. Gifts that are fit for a king. And here's what I think is astounding about this. Where's the chief priest? Where are the teachers of the law that we read about back in verse 4? The ones that led the Magi to Bethlehem. Now, by reading from Mark chapter 5, the ones that said it was in Bethlehem. Well, they simply don't seem to be here. We might ask, why not? Well, have they missed the signs? Surely they too must have been able to see the star in the night sky. I mean, the Magi would have told them about it. And surely, having been reminded from the book of Micah, they might have paid a little bit more attention to what was going on in Bethlehem. But if they did, Matthew doesn't record it for us. And it seems likely then that they missed the birth of their king. They missed the opportunity to worship him. Well, let's recap where we've come for a moment. We have the Magi, Gentiles from the East, guys who walk halfway across the known world probably in search of a king they saw in the stars. They do that because they want to worship this king and they're overjoyed at having found him. Then we have Herod, the reigning king of Israel, but in many ways an illegitimate king. Now, he's also searching for Jesus, not to worship him, but to kill him. And then we have the chief priests and the religious leaders of the day. They know where their king is. He'll be in Bethlehem, they say, but they don't really seem to be all that interested in him. They're not out there worshipping him or looking for him. And really, this sets up the book of Matthew so well, doesn't it? Jesus is the true king. Matthew wants to tell us that. He also wants us to know, as we read through the rest of the gospel, that he'll be rejected by his own. Now, of course, some will recognise his rule. They'll come to see him as the king. But he'll have conflict with the teachers and the chief priests, and that conflict will ultimately lead to his death. I reckon here's a temptation for us today, is to look at these schooled Israelite leaders and think, how could they miss this? Have they got rocks in their head? Now, I don't want us to do that this morning, but rather, I want us to use this story to ask ourselves, have we seen the signs that are there for us to see today? Have we recognised who Jesus really is? Have we responded to Jesus, given who he is? See, the Magi, they were overjoyed to see Jesus. Do you come to Christmas this year with a great sense of joy? Joy that God has broken into and is working in this world, making it right. Joy that he's come to save us. Joy that God's true king has arrived. That's been a bit of a difficult year and we all need joy. Here's a great source of joy for us. God's true king has come into the world. But you know what I reckon is even more important for us today? It's this. Have we seen the signs that are there for us to see? 
See, if Jesus came into the world once, if he's the fulfillment of the Old Testament prophecy, then surely he will fulfill his own promises. I think at least part of the joy of Christmas for us is the promise that Jesus will one day come back again. Are you ready for that? He's coming back. That's his promise. Are you ready for it? Let me read to you from 1 Thessalonians. This is what it says in 1 Thessalonians. Now, brothers and sisters, about times and dates, we don't need to write to you. For you know very well that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. While people are saying peace and safety, destruction will come on them suddenly as labour pains on a pregnant woman, and they will not escape. But you, brothers and sisters, are not in darkness, so that this day should not surprise you like a thief. You are all children of the light and children of the day. We do not belong to the night or to the darkness. A star shone in the night sky, spilling light and understanding onto the Magi. Today, we have the words of King Jesus lighting our path and his return, well, it shouldn't catch us out napping. And so Thessalonians encourages us to keep meeting with one another and building each other up so that we'll be ready for the great day when Jesus returns. Don't miss the warning. Don't miss the signs. He's coming back. And when he does, he's going to put the world right. Magi came from the east with gifts ready to give, with worship ready to give, knowing that a great king had been born. But here's the thing for us today. We know that the return of Jesus the second time will mean his putting right this world. It'll mean our renewal. It'll mean fixing the hurt and the brokenness of this world. Isaiah puts it this way, never again will there be an infant who lives but a few days. Or an old man who does not live out his years. The one who dies at a hundred will be a mere child. The one who fails to reach a hundred will be considered accursed. See, that's joy, isn't it? The world put right. Over the coming few days, I hope you are able to celebrate Christmas with great joy. Joy because we can look back on that first Christmas knowing that in Jesus we've been restored to God. But we should also have a great sense of joy knowing that one day Jesus will again return. He's told us he's coming back. Matthew 2, I think, helps us to ask a question of ourselves. Are we ready for him to return? Have we seen the signs? How will we respond to Jesus? Let's pray. Father God, we give you great thanks for the joy of Christmas, that you have sent your son into this world, that he would forgive our sins, that he would restore us to you. We thank you for his promises that he will return one day and remake this world and undo the hurt and restore us to you. Amen.